Everyday peacemakers are not professional humanitarians. We are everyday people who are learning to see God and ourselves in others. We're daring to step off the road of comfort and immerse into reality. In the face of injustice, conflict, and violence, we are choosing to contend not by getting even, but by getting creative in love. Everyday peacemakers are everyday people who are embedded within a world divided by difference, and these are our stories. Welcome to Everyday Peacemaking, a global immersion podcast hosted by Haley Mitsui, John Huckins, and me, I'm Jer Swigert. And as always, we're gonna ease our way into this conversation with one of Haley's questions of the week. Our question of the week is a simple one. What is a podcast that you are listening to right now? Preferably that you would recommend to our listeners. Um, this is Haley Mitsui uh, here. And as always, I'm joined by Jer Swigart and John Huckins. And I'm going to start this one off, guys. Um, I just started listening to a podcast. Okay, I do have to give just the general honorable mention to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, which is my absolute favorite podcast of all time. But the one that I'm going to talk about is called a podcast Brad and I just started listening to called Dead Eyes. And um, it's, uh, I believe that the host describes it, or actually a guest on that he has on the first episode, describes it as like a serial about something that doesn't matter at all. And so it's kind of framed up as this like true crime podcast, but it's actually just about how this actor like 20 years ago was specific and he had a very small part in band of brothers and was specifically fired by tom hanks citing the reason he has dead eyes this actor has dead eyes oh, and so no. he, uh, yeah. and so it's him going back and trying to figure out like what happened and it's really really quite uh quite a funny um tongue-in-cheek very silly podcast as an aside, can can you imagine somebody saying to you, you're fired because you have dead eyes? Yeah, especially when you're an actor where, you know, you're wow. supposed to be really conveying things through your eyeballs and he was apparently wow. not. So uh, it's truly just, again, a very silly, like if you're on a road trip or whatever okay. kind of podcast. Okay. Apparently he's eyes? learned to laugh about it. I am. I'm gonna sell, say a little bit more of a sob story here because historically, really one of my favorite, if not favorite, uh, podcasts in the last three years is the Daily, the New York Times Daily. Twenty minutes every morning, different topic, light overview of the day, and then they have these this series uh, last year that came out called The Caliphate, and it tells the story of uh, someone that was in ISIS. Excellent series. It's like a ten part miniseries. Well, the the news the last two weeks especially has been that. Their production has been called into question and their journalism not integrous. And that the primary story they had of the caliphate was not actually someone that was an ISIS, but someone that manufactured the story. Oh, and they didn't do their journalism job to sift that out. And so now, like my one of my favorite series of all time, and then now the podcast is completely getting squashed, which it probably should if they failed in journalism, but it's just it's sad. So I, I would want to say listen, but now you're gonna have to do some ethical work if you're gonna listen with me. Now I understand that we're this will be um, this will go live after the ramifications of this. But are you saying that the daily is being quashed? Yeah, because they're the ones that produced this. It was a Holy daily smokes uh, miniseries. Well, in that case, I sure am glad that the Everyday Peacemaking podcast is less journalism and more just stories. That's a really <laughs> you know good what point. I'm saying. Really Woo. good point. 
Uh, on a lighter note, this is Jer here. I am enjoying a podcast called Beach Too Sandy, Water Too Wet. It's a brother-sister duo that uh, they do dramatic readings of one-star ratings. <laughs> it, is, it is absolutely hysterical. So they like comb the, the interwebs for terrible online ratings, and then they read them in very dramatic ways, and it's wow. the most outrageous thing. But then they like challenge each other. They ha- they're like, this week you have to find a one-star rating that references kneecaps and toenails, and they literally find them. It's oh, just unbelievable. Gross. So it's a good highlight to uh, to my day or week. Just the title itself is entertaining. Okay, hey, um, we're going to go into a conversation with two friends who um, have incredible stories of some of the pain that they've carried through working within the church world here in the States and some of the solidarity and hope they've found in their friendship and the ways that that models to us what it means to hold tension of difference and have eyes for our collective healing. So let's jump right into that conversation. Yeah, I'm thrilled to acknowledge and to thank one of our core sponsors of the Everyday Peacemaking Podcast, the organization Respero. They're committed to making safe and life-giving conversations available and accessible to everyone. In short, they they offer free counseling and training in counseling as well. And, um, you know, for me, this feels like it's been a uniquely rough year, but I would say if we're honest, every year has its ups and downs. If we're, if we're truly seeking to live into wholeness. And so personally, uh, one of my central lifelines has been in, to be in regular counseling, tending to my head, heart, soul, aligning values with actions, having someone to listen to stuff uh, that I need to get out so it doesn't fester inside and tear me apart. And so for me, it's been through a sparrow that I've had access to this type of deep care and accompaniment. And if you're in personal, personal need of a counselor, wanting to grow personally, or even get trained as a counselor, we encourage you to check out Respero.org where they offer personal counseling because they believe no one should struggle alone. Respero um, offers counselors at no cost, faith-based counseling, and no matter where you live. They also offer online courses and workshops. Their courses are designed to give you hope and to provide a blueprint for loving yourself, loving others, and flourishing in your spiritual life. They want to meet you where you are, whether your motivation is to help yourself or help those around you. And lastly, they offer counselor training. This gives you the knowledge, skills, and self-awareness to identify and use your gifts in many settings, but especially as part of their counseling team. Uh, Ultimately, their goal, Respero's goal, is to have more and more healthy and healing conversations happening in this world. So check them out, Respero.org. All right, everybody, thrilled to introduce two friends to you uh, today, Sarah and Lamont, who I got the honor to meet. It was almost two years ago, 2019, at the National Prayer Breakfast of all places, which (laughs) is kind of funny to me because, as we all know, like that, the the crew there isn't necessarily um, deeply resonant with each of our faith expressions in life, but we found each other there through a common friend who we trust, and it ended up being a beautiful opportunity to build some friendships and, and learn from each other. And you two have, as I've gotten to know you personally and but but more watching you guys together have given me hope in in recent years like your expression of faith and life and honesty and truth telling uh has been a picture of restoration to me so 
Thanks for being on here, and let's just jump in. Sarah, why don't you go first? Just give a personal welcome. Um, so I am the currently the lead of a church uh, revitalization. So it was, it is a church that is the building itself uh, was built in 1927, opened in 28, but the community has been in the community of Costa Mesa since 1912, and so it it was a very very dynamic church for a very long time, and the building is beautiful, but it was falling apart. And it really says a lot about actually the community itself. It was sort of at a place where they had like 17 to 27 people in worship. They all kind of look like each other. I would say they were the most welcoming humans you've ever met, but they didn't know how to make space for the people that they loved. So they, um, if you know, they were me, me bringing in. Um, so one of the things that has been such a blessing in my own work in ministry is the idea of not just racial diversity, but also LGBTQIA inclusion, which is really such an honor as a heterosexual white female to, I don't know why I get invited into these spaces, but that's kind of something that comes with me. And I always say, if you want a great example of, to explain our church, that it's the church where they weren't upset with me for bringing the LGBTQIA community or the diverse community. They were upset with me because I said, maybe we shouldn't have um, deviled eggs every worship service. <laughs> that was, that you was the moment. Edgy. Wow. I, that was the moment I was like, I don't think we need to keep doing that because our church has grown so big because they were like, look, people cannot really afford to keep doing this. I'm like, I'm not sure why we're doing it in the first place. So, um, yeah, I would say this is a community that has just been such a blessing and grown. And gosh, during the time of COVID has become really and truly, um, and I don't want to like give away too much, but we, some of the anti-racism work we did had people from all over the nation, um, which was really cool. So that's a little bit about me. I'm passionate about flipping spaces, um, not just uh, the community, but also the buildings itself. So Sweet. that's me. Lamont. Yeah, good to be here. Good to see you, John. Good to always see you, Sarah. Um, yeah, I'm a, a multi-ethnic church planning pastor, uh, having pastor ch- planted two churches, uh, currently in, in the midst of planning a third church. Uh, my heart is to really create spaces uh, that are of equity for, for people of all ethnicities to come and worship Jesus together. And so, uh, yeah, pastored a church uh, uh, for five years um, and uh, stepped away from that and started working with Sarah uh, in Costa Mesa at uh, First United Methodist Church. And uh, yeah, and have enjoyed uh, my time with her under her leadership and with uh, this beautiful community that um, that I've uh, yeah, grown to love and 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 have uh, felt loved on uh, during uh, times of uh, of need for me. So mm. yeah, it's really really good to be here. And uh, yeah, thank you, thank you, John, for having me. Well, yeah, let's let's talk a little more about. Um, I mean, you, Sarah, are a woman lead pastor of a church in Orange County. Um, yeah. which has a lot of other churches in mind that aren't necessarily structured that way. Lamont, yeah. you, you are a black man pastor who's had all sorts of experiences in different church contexts, beautiful, painful, with a passion for reconciliation, and not just like a, as I understand it, not like a passive reconciliation that just acts like everything's okay and kind of maintains the status quo, but disrupts some stuff so we can deal with what's broken and actually heal. Um, yeah. which, which is awesome, works great in Orange County. 
And when you say no. Orange County, I, I really didn't know what I was getting into. I promise. I didn't understand the history of Orange County, but yeah. that's another, that's another story. That's yeah. another story. That Keep might, going. Keep that going. might be the story, though. That's why I'm <laughs> that so is compelled. The story. <laughs> in, in, in yeah, like, it is. I, I want to hear from you guys to say, okay, your your guys' relationship, I think, is is unpredictable, but it's been some glimmers of restoration. But that Orange County narrative is counter to who I've experienced you two to, to be, and I know it's come at a high cost. And so I don't know if one of you would jump in to, to articulate some of the cost and then what began to journey you towards uh, how you journeyed through that, that that leads to where you are now. I'm going to say that some of the cost is a little bit about you have to give up your, your card and willingness to pass. Uh, it's very easy for me to fit into evangelical spaces where the white guy is the lead pastor. And because I am forward facing as someone who is heterosexual and white. Um, and so you wouldn't know that part of my narrative is I'm an immigrant. A part of my narrative is that I lead the church. So that's a unique weird. And so when you start to do this work, you give up some of your privilege. And I think that's really important um, for people to know that you cannot just be an ally that just is um, complacent with like, I'm going to risk until it hurts me. You have to realize that it needs to hurt you as much as it hurts the folks you're standing with. And you have to understand that as you step into it. And you also have to be willing to have your um, ego hurt a little bit. Um, I've learned so much from uh, Lamont in our friendship and in our, but it required both of us to say, you know, I love Lamont always makes a point, And I don't even know if he knows he's doing it to say, I work under Sarah. And he's doing that because what he's saying to people who in that room are immediately going to look at this tall black man and think he must be the lead pastor. And Lamont is always the first to say in this space, I'm working under Sarah. And that's not anything I've ever asked him to do, but that is a, a release of privilege that um, I find to be inspiring and to help me in those places and spaces where I get to say, you know what, in this area, I'm not the expert. Um, and it, it's really hard to do when you already feel yourself to be maybe part of a slightly marginalized community. Like as a female pastor, it'd be really easy for me to like sit on my laurels and be like, the Christian narrative is against me so I can speak from a point of pain, but I have to recognize my own privilege and sometimes recognize my need to take a back seat. Lamont, let's hear, let's, let, it, to what degree you're willing, uh, talk to us about what that has been like to be a leader of color in the context of Orange County and all the church structures that, that go on there, what that's been like to navigate it and, and where you've begun to found, find hope in relationships like you've built with Sarah. Yeah, I came to uh, Orange County from the Inland Empire and, and really didn't know much. I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I, I totally get, um, you know, a system race or a, a racial, uh, you know, just inequality. I totally get that. I totally get um, systems of inequality. And I've had experiences in churches where, uh, yeah, they, it wasn't so great. I felt marginalized. And so I did not totally understand the history coming from Inland Empire um, from a diverse church, what I thought at the moment was diverse, um, being just a, a lot of uh, people of color um, and white brothers and sisters in Christ in a mega church. I came to Orange County thinking, oh, okay, this is something similar. Mm -hmm. uh, the power dynamics were, were much different. Um, the resources, the opulence in churches here um, was, was uh, if I'm honest, 
kind of was a lure thinking, oh, we can do more for the poor. We can do more. Yeah. Uh, what I really what I really realized as I as I mingled amongst those that had resources to do great work, they were easily willing to give their time. I mean, re- their money, but not their time. And so I started going after time in, instead of money because money was the easy way out. And um, a lot of that challenging. I'm an Enneagram. I'm an eight. Right. So I'm a challenger. So a lot of those challenging people uh, for more what they really need to give in order to to see, I believe, Jesus in a new way, um, they, I, I got pushed back. I was already, already, I, I could t- I could sense that, uh, you know, people viewed me as, as someone uh, that, yeah, that was uh, kind of uh, outspoken, which I am, and kind mm-hmm. of uh, forthright, which I am, and, and um, yeah, and so it, it's cost me, uh, to be honest, the, the conversation and being what I, what I perceive to be and believe to be a prophetic voice, it's cost me relationships. Mm. Um, I, I knew coming to Orange County um, that, that this, this struggle for equality would, would cost me something. I didn't know the, I didn't totally understand the cost and didn't, under, didn't know how deep the pain would be. But um, yeah, I've been misunderstood quite often um, and been disappointed by, by churches uh, that, I've, uh, that I've worked with and, and, and being uh, allowed myself for the sake of, if I'm honest, allowed myself to be used as somewhat of a token, uh, a mm. black person in an organization for the sake of a greater good. And mm. uh, I'm past that greater good nonsense and, uh, and, and, ready, and calling out names these days and, and calling out bullshit and everything else um, because it's the, the time, uh, the time for equality is now, the time for the church to really address uh, systems of oppression and, and racial uh, inequality uh, is, is now. There's no, mm. there's no other voice than a straightforward prophetic voice um, to, to dismantle white supremacy and, and all that, um, all that uh, plagues the, our, our evangelical churches, which I no longer uh, carry, carry that title. Uh, any longer either. So it's been a, a breath of fresh air. If I were to go into more detail, I said that I planted two churches and um, I'm part of a multi-ethnic church planting movement, uh, of great friends, a tribe collective. And um, I went through the darkest season of my life, uh, uh, actually uh, at, in my fifth year of, of leading a multi-ethnic church in Santa Ana, um, I, I went through a divorce um, and um, it was a very messy divorce, which uh, further alienated me from those that um, trusted my voice and kind of the, ra- the uh, r- racial reconciliation space. Um, and it was Sarah that I had met maybe less than a year um, that um, really reached out and um, said, you know, you should, you should consider coming and, and, uh, and serving our people, which was a, a huge, uh, I mean, just this, uh, I can't even describe um, how restorative that was for me and what a mm-hmm. blessing that was for me to be able to um, step into her community. And I think the caveat, which uh, which is super, I mean, interest to me, I knew becoming in, I, I am not, um, I'm not an affirming pastor, yet I'm open and have done the, uh, continue to educate myself uh, in LGBTQI um, uh, issues within the church and, and, and wanted and realized that here's an opportunity for me to practice what I preach and be in proximity uh, with brothers and sisters of Christ, which I believe never truly happens. I, I don't believe, I believe 
LGBTQI people coming to our churches and willing to open themselves and be vulnerable and uh, and are hurt, and, but uh, others never come into their communities to serve them and live alongside of them. And that's been a beautiful journey for me, one that Sarah's helped me navigate and extended, this community extended, extended great grace for me, um, something that I will uh, always cherish and, and continue to, to carry with me in churches. It's changed the way that I view church. It's changed the way that I worship. And um, yeah, I'm just grateful to have, to be a part of, of what they have going on uh, in Costa Mesa. Yeah, it's been so funny. I can remember the moment when I knew that um, I could try. I knew from the first moment I met Lamont, we had lunch together and we, I literally made the deal with, you know, a friend of mine that we've all had for a long time, but I made the deal with Lamont that day. If you don't go to the prayer breakfast, I'm not going to the prayer breakfast. <laughs> and it was because I was so afraid of being isolated and alone and, um, just kind of that you fear. It turns out a lot of us were fine. I was, mm-hmm. I would have been fine, but I, I just didn't feel safe, but I felt safe around Lamont. And that was further a, a point of mine. Uh, I felt like I could have some real conversation with this person and be both willing to make mistakes and to um, also hear things that were hard for me to hear because yeah. I didn't agree because we were eating um, and having drinks one night and Lamont was talking about how for him, the LGBTQIA community, he didn't quite understand it. So he went to a school for graduate school that that was uh, a completely affirming situation because mm. Lamont felt the need to be surrounded by people who thought differently. And wow. I thought that to me is a humbleness of heart and yeah. mindset that I seek to be and sometimes miss the mark. And I thought I can, I can have these conversations with this person. And, and I'll tell you, we've had gnarly conversations, but I have never, it's been the most um, incredible experience of like being able to say, Oh man, I'm, I messed up Lamont. I used the wrong word there or, um, Oh man, uh, what Lamont, you can't keep calling God he, like, you know, and Lamont, hey, I was like, Man! Oh my God. Hey, I will never preach the same. Every time That's I it. say God's name, I say, Oh, oh, I said he again. Everybody. <laughs> so much grace, though. I'm telling you, this it. church, this church extends so much grace. They love to you. Me. It's amazing. The the beauty of it is is those moments when you can um kind of laugh at yourself for the thing, but you have the kind of relationship. So what I cannot stop thanking God for is in 2020, when, um, something that we cared so much about black lives matter happened in our community. And I was like, Oh my gosh, God provided this person who can speak into this in a way that is authentic. Like, yeah, I can talk about it. I can, I've taken black, the black church with Willie Jennings. I have all, I've read all the books but I have not lived it. And, um, it's disingenuous for me to, um, do that work alone. And the beauty was, and I think this is to me, something that I will never forget, no matter what I do with the rest of my life is being able to preach a sermon series, Lamont and I, in the midst of that, where we just laid it bare and said, I'm not, here's what's hurting. 
here's what I don't like in a way that um, many of our community members said that was a pivotal moment for them to understand why they needed to engage in that conversation and that um, progressive people sometimes are afraid. And so to give them a, a space to see what it looks like to live in, um, in peace that is costly um, because you, you have to let go of your like, I'm right. I'm, I'm, I'm a good, I'm one of the good Christians, yep. you know? <laughs> and that's the thing that it's so striking to me in your guys' story is that peace is um, like we talk about peace as a holistic repair of relationship. It requires that we can actually like move through hard stuff together. We we can disagree on things, but still remain in relationship. As I'm hearing you guys talk, there's this relational solidarity of sorts. Like you are arm in arm, despite the fact we might disagree on some stuff, we're in it. We can be true with each other. We can trust each other. And that to me is so striking. And the, the question I wanted to ask and hear you guys interact with, I think a lot of folks don't have this kind of, this gift of this relational solidarity despite differences in ways that grows each other. And so if you're listening, pay attention to some of the characteristics of the way that Lamont and Sarah are, are interacting with each other and, and growing this trust. But a lot of folks, and uh, in, in both of you, have every reason in the world to be so hurt by some, some of the stuff you've had to navigate that you just kind of, you continue on to perpetuate that pain into the world. What Richard Rohr talks a lot about that, right? If we don't transform our pain, we'll transmit it. And you both live mess like you live lives and you share messages that are honest and raw and full of truth and they are hopeful and they're invitational and they're towards restoration. Would you invite us in this last couple of minutes? Like how have you to transformed this pain? It's not setting it aside, it's not saying it's not there, but how have you transformed it in such a way that you are inviting us into a better way? You're you're inviting us into these kinds of relationships that you guys embody. I think we've we've uh, found a way to lean on one another's strengths. Uh, Sarah creates spaces. That's what she does. And she created a space for me uh, when no one else would. And uh, I was able to, to, to step into that space and be fully myself. And it, it caused, it's caused me to dream again and believe again. And, and in the same way, um, I am, uh, Sarah has trusted me, I believe, uh, with the voice and the way that I deliver, the way that God gives it to me and the way that I deliver it to people filtered through my story. She's trusted that voice and mm. she's trusted, um, yeah, the years of, of, of experience and ministry that I have and allowed me to freely uh, be myself in her community, which ultimately results, we all win. I've grown um, and, 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 and I think as, as a result, um, the community has grown and we're all be, are able to thrive. I have to say this, and this is, the, I have to say this before I, before I close, but you know, I will never, I will forever be changed. The communities that I will leave will forever be changed because of my experience in First United Methodist Church uh, with the LGBTQI community. I'll never forget the moment that I, I was worshiping and in the church and um, I, I looked up and there's an LGBTQI worship leader and God is using him powerfully and the spirit moved me. Mm. And in that moment, I said, I will forever create space to have conversations in churches like Reconcile because I need to continually be reconciled with this community and all marginalized communities. I believe that's the future of the church. I believe that's what God's doing in this hour. And people like Sarah, uh, yourself, are creating margin and spaces uh, for, for people to step into. And mm -hmm. God's, it's cool to see what God's doing. When I look at, particularly around the world right now, it's the lack of empathy. Mm. Uh, it's the lack of being able to go wow, that hurts. Mm -hmm. Um, and there Lamont and our friendship, um, make space for empathy for both of us. Um, and 
a realization that we're both, yes, we're pastors, but we're both people. It's hard to be uh, a female. Neither one of us has, um, I can't not be female in a space and he cannot be black in a space. Mm -hmm. Like they're Mm -hmm. both things that we bring with us Mm -hmm. everywhere we go. I'm black with gold teeth though. I have gold teeth. I'm just, I'm (laughs) black, 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 black. (laughs) I'm lady, lady. I wear lipstick. I don't know. (laughs) Black, black. We also joke around a lot. We have been really good for you, John. I just want to say, but I think there is a sense of like, Finding someone that you know you can have what 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 we are referring to as brave spaces, and I believe mm-hmm. it's Mickey Scott Bales who um, or Mickey Scott Jones who came up with that. Like you, you have to be willing to say, "Ouch, that hurt," and the other person has to be able to say, "Oops, I'm sorry," mm-hmm. and then it has to like be a reciprocal. And I think um, it's been such a gift and continues to be a gift. And even you know, as his cro- church grows and as I move, uh, whatever whatever might happen. I know that I'm forever changed by our experience and what we went through through 2020. And it's so funny until you asked us to be on the show, I didn't think about what a blessing in 2020 having Lamont is like, not just like a friend, but a co-conspirator has been like, wow, I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps. Let's end with goosebumps. (laughs) Uh, Lamont, Sarah, thanks for, for this. Thanks for, the story is great, but who you are is better. Um, so thank you for being who you are and for being willing to share that with all of us and wake up our imagination for what this kind of relational solidarity looks like. Is we're, we're all grabbing for pictures of hope uh, and healing and, and working through the crap that we're all uh, exposed to and feeling and experiencing in today's world. So thanks for being with us. Grateful for you both. Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate you, bro. Whoa, what a, um, what a dynamic duo, what a dynamic conversation. There's, um, some, there's, a, there's an immersed practice that struck me as I was listening to them. I, I mean, I've got a page full of notes here of just different bullet points that are ideas and practices, but, um, but I was struck in this, um, around the immersed practice, we talk so frequently about, um, about immersing into, immersing into, immersing into, and like the posture that it takes to immerse with curiosity and with humility and compassion and, um, and how the immersion, the intentional displacement is the thing that transforms us. Um, I heard immersion um, when they, when I think Sarah said, surround yourself with people who are different than you, you know? And so there's like a, a, immersion, immersion, at times takes takes the form of moving toward something that, or, or a person or people that are not like me. And then there's the immersion that's like, I have to willfully surround myself with people who are not like me. And, um, and, and I, I, I'm just struck again by the transformative power of being, of choosing to be in spaces where I have no power. I have no voice. I have no answers. I have no solutions. Um, I have, uh, I have a lot of wonder, especially as a white male, uh, to be in a space where I am the minority, whether that's in thought or, or faith background or ethnic identity or whatever is to be, to willfully surround myself, um, with those who think, believe, interact, embody things that are different than me, um, is a practice for me in my formation as a peacemaker that that they they raised up um, and that I want to um, I want to raise up as well is is absolutely critical uh, to my ongoing formation as an everyday peacemaker. There is a lot in there, and I think they have a very sweet and special 
relationship. And something that struck me there was, I think they talked a lot about the reciprocal nature of the relationship. They talked a lot about um, the having to put the egos aside and having to say, you know, ouch, that hurt and oops, I'm sorry. And the, the diff, like a lot of relationships or friendships don't necessarily make it through that first round of ouch, that hurt. And um, Lamont talked about being a prophetic voice in spaces that were not ready for his voice and the lost relationships that came with that. And so you see like just how costly a relationship like the one that they have is. And yet the, you can also tell that they are deeply, um, that they deeply enjoy each other, um, that there's a, a joy and a life um, and a levity to that relationship, even though they are wading into some of the most difficult conversations that we are having in our modern day church um, experience. So I just loved their entire energy, but what really stuck with me was just that, again, that role, like acknowledging of their own privileges and laying down their privilege, um, whether it's whiteness or whether it's maleness and laying that at the feet of the other person. And when both parties can do that, the beautiful uh, things that can be born out of that. I hadn't thought about this till I was listening to them, but it felt like they each carried so much with them and they found in each other in their relationship this this solidarity this arm and armness and they did that because they found they, they they built trust with each other but they also shared some similar pains different but but similar and as that journey went on it was less about them just agreeing about everything and more about having someone they could be in it with and it just really speaks loudly to me that like there there is um there is so much reason for them to to walk away from all sorts of everything from the expression of institutionalized Christianity to all the relationships that surround them, but they were able to link arms to contend for each other despite differences. I think that's a thread we often talk about in everyday peacemaking is it's not a reflection like a, a reflection of a strong faith to avoid difference. It's actually a reflection of a fragile faith. And they invited us to consider who are we orienting ourselves around in relationship with that actually push us, even some of our deepest convictions. And, and to me, I, I walk away from that relationship inspired by a faith that is very grounded, that's unthreatened, that their faith in following Jesus is not threatened by difference. It's not threatened by orthodoxy. It's not threatened by being uncomfortable. Um, it's actually a reflection of, of who they understand this, themselves to be in the restorative story they're part of. And so uh, that's the gift they give us, a, a picture, imagination of what that kind of relational solidarity looks like as we move towards restoration together. And so, friends, as we reflect on that and think about it in our own context and those in our own lives, uh, remember that God's restoration is happening. Now go and participate in it and know that you're not alone. For more information on the work of Global Immersion, visit globalimmerse.org. Music in this episode was by King's Kaleidoscope and The Eagle and Child. This podcast is produced by Global Immersion and Adventure Vision Productions. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate us, and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your excellent podcasts.